0: You're listening to TIP.
1: Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Fink, and today is another release of our mini episode series that we send out to you all every Saturday. This is the episode where it is just me diving into a specific topic to help you become a better investor. On today's show, I'm going to be discussing Berkshire Hathaway and what a fair value of the stock might be today. Hope you enjoy it.
0: You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investor's Podcast Network. Where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Clay Fink, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation.
1: Just over a year ago, Stig Broderson had Adam Mead on our YouTube channel to walk through an intrinsic value assessment of Berkshire Hathaway. So, during this episode, I'm going to be walking through one of the methods that Adam used to value Berkshire and update some of the numbers for 2022 to see what we come up with for an intrinsic value for Berkshire Hathaway today. I'll be sure to link that conversation with Adam and Stig in the show notes for those that are interested in checking that out. Adam was using numbers as of Q1 2021, and I'll be using the most up-to-date numbers at the time of this recording, which is Q1 2022. Before we dive in, I wanted to say that there really is no one way to estimate the intrinsic value of Berkshire, or really any company for that matter. One stock analyst is very likely to come up with a different value of the stock than another analyst. So it's important to really understand the company, understand how you can come up with a conservative valuation. And think for yourself on whether that method is appropriate or not for determining the intrinsic value of the company. Oftentimes, you can think of a reasonable value as a range of potential values rather than just one specific number. And different companies are going to have different ranges. It's very likely that a company like Tesla is going to have a pretty wide range for where the value might be just because there's such a wide range of outcomes for where the company will be in, say, 10 years. Whereas for Berkshire... It's much more stable, it's growing at a steady rate, and it's much more predictable. So the range of an appropriate intrinsic value is probably a lot more narrower than for a lot of growth companies. So the first method that Adam walks through in his analysis is the sum of the parts method. This method really makes a lot of sense to me because Berkshire is not like most businesses. They're essentially like a holding company with many different businesses underneath that holding company. They own insurance like Geico. They own a number of publicly traded stocks. They have railroads. They have utilities and energy and a number of other companies. The sum of the parts method essentially puts a value on each slice of their business and then adds it all together. So it takes the value, all their publicly held stock holdings, all the value of their cash, all the value of all these other private businesses, and then adding it up all together to come up with an intrinsic value for the stock. I like how Adam started with the most certain pieces of information first and then worked his way down to the more complex holdings. So, obviously, the most certain is cash. As of Q1, 2022, Berkshire's cash position was around $102 billion. And the market cap today for the company is around $635 billion. This puts their cash position at around 16% of their total market cap. So, for every $100 you buy in Berkshire stock today, you're getting roughly $16 in cash sitting in the business. They also hold fixed income securities as well, but it's much smaller than a cash position. This totals $21.7 billion, which is about 3% of the market cap at today's valuation. Moving along, next we have the publicly traded companies they own. All of their publicly traded holdings are US-listed companies, According to their most recent 13F filing, which shows their stock holdings, Berkshire owns roughly $363 billion worth of stocks. Then Adam went ahead and made a couple of adjustments to these stock holdings, the first being deducting the unrealized capital gains taxes. In theory, if they were to sell all of their stocks today, they would incur a massive tax bill, so this must be taken into account when calculating our intrinsic value. We can find the unrealized capital gains, but we will have to make an assumption of the rate at which those gains will be taxed because many of these holdings might be held for many, many years. Adam uses a conservative estimate of 21% capital gains tax and Berkshire has about $245 billion in unrealized capital gains as of Q1 2022. So multiplying these two numbers together, we get an amount of $51.5 billion that's going to be deducted from the stock holdings. Now, This is a really conservative estimate because Berkshire tends to hold many of these companies for a very long time. Coca Cola, for example, he purchased over 30 years ago, and it's probably not likely he's going to be selling anytime soon. To assume that he's going to sell it today and incur that tax hit, you know, probably isn't very likely. He's probably going to be holding it for many, many years into the future, just like many of his other holdings. So it's pretty conservative to assume that tax hit today. So we're going to go ahead and do what Adam did and assume that 21% capital gains tax will be applied to the unrealized capital gains. And then the other adjustment we're going to make is to mark down the stock holdings by 10% to take into the account that potentially some of these holdings might be overvalued. For example, Apple specifically is 43% of Berkshire's stock portfolio. If this stock were to decline drastically, then this would really bring down the overall portfolio and be a drag on it. So we want to add some conservatism to account for the fact that the overall market or some particular holdings might be overvalued at this point in time. After adjusting for the unrealized capital gains tax liability, as well as the 10% markdown, This takes the $363 billion stock portfolio to an adjusted amount of $275 billion. This accounts for roughly 43% of Berkshire's market cap today. Then Adam lists the equity method investments in his analysis, which are companies that are accounted for a bit differently in their filings because they own a substantial portion of these businesses. These only included a few companies. They have an interest in Kraft Heinz, Pilot Flying J, Energy Transmission Texas, and Burcadia. This total came out to $17 billion, which is the equity method investments line in their 10Q filing, which is filed quarterly by Berkshire. Next up is some of Berkshire's larger holdings. They own BNSF, which stands for Burlington Northern Santa Fe. BNSF operates one of the largest railroad systems in North America with over 32,500 route miles of track in 28 states, as well as some operations in Canada. BNSF's net operating earnings were $5.5 billion in 2019, $5.1 billion in 2020, and nearly $6 billion in 2021. Now, to come up with a value for these wholly owned businesses... Adam simply is just applying a 15 times multiple to the normalized earnings of the business. To come up with normalized earnings, you need to look at their current earnings and look back at the past to make sure the current year isn't an anomaly to the upside or to the downside. Normalized earnings is just what you would expect the company to earn in a normal year. The 15x multiple and the normalized earnings are both subjective estimates to determine the value of any of their businesses. Some investors might consider the 15 times multiple too low, some might consider it too high, but it's really just what you expect the company to earn in the future. The key in doing this analysis yourself is to be conservative in all of your estimates to be sure you're not overpaying for the stock. So the lower multiple you put on the earnings, the more conservative you're being because a 10 times multiple will give you a lower value of the stock than a 15 times multiple or 20 times multiple. Let's take
2: a quick break and hear from
1: today's sponsors.
2: Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon? And millions of other queries right at your fingertips. Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
1: All right, back to the show. If you're assuming a 15 times multiple on a company, that means we are accepting a 6.7% return on this particular business. As for every $15 we pay for the company, we are getting $1 in earnings. In other words, you invert that and take one divided by 15 is how we land on that 6.7% expected return. If we assume, say, a 20X multiple, then we would be accepting a 5% return as we would get $1 of earnings every year for every $20 we put in. The lower multiple you assume, the lower your intrinsic value of the company would be. This is why many value investors are looking for stocks with lower PE ratios. Say if you find a value stock with a PE of 10, well, that means you're getting 10% of earnings each year because one divided by 10 is 10%. For every $100 you put in, you're getting $10 worth of earnings. Well, with a company like Amazon, you're putting in $100 and only getting something like $2 in earnings because their price to earnings ratio is so high today. Adam came up with normalized earnings of $5.5 billion for BNSF. Like I just mentioned, it was 5.5 billion in 2019, 5.1 billion in 2020, and nearly 6 billion in 2021. So, normalized earnings of 5.5 billion seems pretty reasonable. Applying the 15x multiple to this, we get a value for BNSF of 82.5 billion, which is about 13% of Berkshire's market cap today. Moving along to Berkshire Energy, which operates a global energy business, there are a number of energy-related businesses within this segment, and it's similar to BNSF in that the earnings are stable and predictable and tend to grow over time. The net operating earnings attributable to Berkshire were $2.8 billion in 2019, $3.1 billion in 2020, and $3.5 billion in 2021. Applying a similar methodology as BNSF, the earnings that Adam used was $3.5 billion for Berkshire Energy. So I'm going to go ahead and use that as well and apply a 15 times multiple that gives us a value of $52.5 billion for Berkshire Energy. Next is the manufacturing, service, and retail business. The breakdown of pre-tax earnings in Berkshire's annual report shows $9.5 billion worth of pre-tax earnings in 2019. 8.0 billion in 2020, and 9.8 billion in 2021. Roughly half of this is coming from what they label as their industrial business, which includes aerospace, power industrial needs, specialty chemicals, and a number of other products and service businesses. I don't want to bore you too much with the specifics of the business here, but Adam did a similar breakdown of the valuation in that he assumed a normalized earnings of $9 billion for this segment. With a 15 times multiple, we come up with a valuation of $135 billion. Getting towards the end here, we have the underwriting business, which Adam assumes will earn $1.8 billion, assuming a 3% underwriting margin, which seems to be pretty conservative. So I'm going to stick with that as the earnings are fairly small relative to some of the other lines. At a 15 times multiple, this gives us a value of $27 billion. The final line in his Sum of the Parts spreadsheet is the debt held by the parent company this is 21.3 billion and this ends up being subtracted from the total before we sum up the parts i wanted to mention that i chose not to increase the estimates that adam used for his earnings estimates one could argue that due to inflation and such that the earnings could be something like 5 or 10% higher but with the high level of economic uncertainty today i chose to just keep those earnings estimates the same and add a little bit more conservatism to our estimates Summing up the parts, this gives us a total value of Berkshire to be $693 billion. Taking that number and dividing it by the shares outstanding, this gets us to an intrinsic value of $314 per B-share for Berkshire. And the stock at the time is trading at around $285, indicating that Berkshire today is trading at potentially a 10% discount based on our conservative estimates. Back when Adam recorded this conversation with Stig, he came up with an intrinsic value of 292 using this method, which is a bit lower than what we have today, and much of that is due to the appreciation of Berkshire's publicly traded stocks since then. Apple is around flat on the one-year chart, but their energy holdings such as Chevron are up nearly 50% in the last year, just to give you an example. Now, me saying that it is potentially trading at a 10% discount does not mean that you should go out and buy it at 285 today and then sell it when it hits our calculated intrinsic value of 314. As long-term investors, if Berkshire is a business we would be comfortable buying and holding for the next 10 years, then today's price is probably a fair price to enter a position. I've been to a few Berkshire meetings in person, and if I recall correctly, I believe Buffett has stated that he expects Berkshire to compound at roughly 10% per year on average. This is a pretty solid return when considering how low interest rates are, but obviously is at the whims of how strong the overall economy is and how the businesses actually end up performing, especially their Apple position, as that is a large portion of their overall value. To help become more comfortable with determining the intrinsic value, Adam actually did so using a number of different methods, not just the sum of the parts method. This one makes a lot of sense to me, and I thought it would be helpful and interesting to walk through it with the listeners. Another great point that Adam and Stig made in that video was to take a look at the share repurchase activity that Berkshire has been doing. Because if Berkshire is buying back their own shares, that alone tells you that Warren Buffett believes that his stock is undervalued, which can give you a hint that the intrinsic value is well above whatever price he paid, because Warren knows Berkshire better than pretty much anyone else out there. So, looking at the most recent 10Q, I searched for the word repurchase and found the repurchase information for Q1 2022. They bought roughly $3 billion worth of Berkshire's shares during the quarter. Their average price in January was $299 in February, it was 312, and in March, it was 322 per B share. For reference, Berkshire actually purchased $27 billion worth of shares in 2021. While the stock price during that period really ran up, it was $230 at the beginning of the year and closed the year at around $300. So seeing that repurchase activity from Berkshire can give us a pretty good idea that today's price for the company is probably a pretty fair price, assuming you're a long-term investor and really have that long-term approach. All right. That's all I had for you guys for today's episode. If you guys have any questions related to anything I discussed during this episode, feel free to reach out to me. My email is clay at investorspodcast.com And be sure to give me a follow on Twitter. My username is at clay underscore fink. I'm also starting to post some content on Instagram. So please give me a follow there as well at clay.think. That's C L A Y. F I N C K. I tried getting the same username there, but wasn't able to do so. So thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll see you again next time.
0: Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network.